When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello, badgers everywhere. I hope you're well. Here's another podcast. It's myself and a special guest, and we're launching the hashtag Goat Cricketer. We're looking for the best players, the legends, the greatest of all time from around the world. We're starting with England. You might have noticed already the votes have started on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed. You can vote too as we try and pick the greatest of all time. And to launch it, myself and Dan Norcross, we nominate five apiece in this podcast discuss them have a little bit of a, a natter around the edges as well we're going to go england then india then australia and then around the rest of the globe so however long this coronavirus lockdown and hassle to sport continues we can still chat in probably a little bit of a nostalgic way about our favorite cricketers of all time i'd just like to say as well again thank you so much for your activity and donations on the gofundme page for the cricket badger podcast your donations are hugely appreciated and had a really nice call the other day and this is a bit of a measure of the man he probably won't appreciate me saying this but paul smith the former warwickshire all-rounder phoned me up he's obviously as well struggling for bookings for his after dinner speaking at the moment all events have been cancelled haven't they hopefully for him people will roll him over but he very kindly offered to support the cricket badger podcast to donate a slice of future bookings to the cricket badger podcast to keep it going so massive thanks to him so if you want to book him and i'll tell you what there are a few better after dinner speakers motivational plenty of anecdotes plenty of stories once we're back up and running once we're out of lockdown if you are looking for somebody to come along to your club your society whatever your event 
event is and you want somebody to be speaking at it then Paul Smith is as good as anybody I think in certainly in the world of cricket and you can book him just send him an email it's paulsmithauthor at gmail.com tell him the badge you sent you and get him booked in for when we get back to normal treat yourself get a very very good speaker in Paul plenty of opinions plenty of anecdotes plenty of things to say really interesting fella cannot recommend him highly enough and I thank him massively for his offer to help out the Cricket Badger podcast. Anyway, let's get back to this edition of the podcast. The greatest cricketer of all time in an England test shirt. Hashtag G-O-A-T cricketer. Here's the opinions of myself and Dan Norcross. It's that Badger style. Right then, Badgers. In these troubled times, I thought, which voice would I like to hear? on the other end of a Skype conversation for the Cricket Badger podcast. And it's Dan Norcross. Dan, how are you? How am I? I'm, uh, I'm okay. Do you know, we didn't used to have to answer that question, did we, in any meaningful way until now? And now there's so much to say. I am, I'm experiencing, basically, all the negative emotions that are possible in humanity. And yet, at the same time, I'm strangely calm, as if the sheer weight of all the different things all coming down at once means that, Yes, well, you've just got to get on with it, haven't you? <laughs> As Jason Gillespie always used to say in interviews, you can only control the controllables, and that is what we're, what we're faced with. We can only control what's in our capacity to control. I mean, I'll tell you, though, it doesn't half make you creative. I mean, last night I was sitting around with my wife, and we were, uh, on the recommendation of Graham Foxy Fowler, we have decided to inject into our daily watching routine, which is now, of course, much, much longer and more diverse than ever twas before, a fantastic Australian period 45-minute police procedural called the Miss Fisher Mysteries, in which an astoundingly beautiful woman who looks like Louise Brooks, the uh, silent film actress, Phryne Fisher, is a sort of posh, Miss Marple. Well, she's not like Miss Marple at all, you know what I mean? She's a sleuth and un, uh, and ridiculous. And um, as I was watching this, because uh, it's the sort of thing you drift in and out of, really, it occurred to me that what I would like to do as a contribution to society more than anything else is to create the greatest flash mob that will ever be made. When this crisis is over and we're allowed out. I want all the people who, uh, like me, aren't even visiting hairdressers or barbers to come out into the centre of London dressed in nothing but their lounging trousers or pyjamas, what we'll have been basically in for nine months, and just shuffle down, I don't know, Piccadilly or Shaftesbury Avenue with beards down to our waists, with hair down to our navels, wearing nothing but tracky bottoms. And this will be our VE day. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, the wartime generation were all slim and looked fantastic and had been living off a splendid diet and threw their hats in the air and had sex with American GIs. We can recreate a kind of zombie scene and mill around Trafalgar Square having just poked our heads out for the first time in months. I think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> well, Graham, Graham Foxy Fowler, he's actually just shaved his beard off, hasn't he? So he'll have to grow that back again if he wants to be part of that. Growing back, it is growing back. I, I, got, I saw it the other day. He was he stayed around here and it is, it's, it's coming back together. <laughs> I bought a exercise bike about 12 months ago and I have never ridden it, but I think it actually might turn out to be one of the best purchases I ever made because I can, I can bike around my bedroom, basically. Oh, Nostra Badger. How did you see this coming? Well right. done. 
<laughs> I'll tell you what, though, as, as freelance journalists who we may have no money and we may have uh, our lives turned upside down, along with everybody else as well, because we're not alone in that at all. But the regime of getting up in the morning, having a shower, getting dressed and actually doing things with the day are kind of second nature to me, really. I'm kind of quite used to this being at home and getting on with stuff, whereas for a lot of other people, it's a, it's a very alien concept, isn't it? Well, I think so. I mean, I've got to give you a bit of a disclaimer here, which is that, you know, as a, as a freelance broadcaster, a journalist, the, the journalism bit is the bit that I still put off till like, you know, five <laughs> hours before the deadline. And then I am still, you know, in my lounging trousers, uh, racking my brains for things to stay. So we broadcasters, we tend to live a charmed life, really, because you're expected at the ground about 10 o'clock, which is quite nice and clement, isn't it? And then the whole day is organised for you and you get fed and then you come back again to uh, wherever you are, either a home or your hotel room or whatever. So I am, I, I wouldn't say I'm struggling though, because where we're quite fortunately socialised being cricket folk is that I spend pretty much every October in the state that we're now going to spend for the next six months or so. So I'm just saying to myself, it's just like the longest ever October. And, you know, it will be summer. So there'll be opportunities to sort of poke your head onto a balcony or a garden if you're lucky enough to have one and feel some warm rays. Uh, and one thing that doesn't seem to be running out in the shops is, I'm delighted to say, um, a, a rather perky, cheap New Zealand um, Sauvignon Blanc from Lidl. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to make it too widely advised because I don't want it to run out, but that's my tip for you. They also do a very, very uh, modestly priced gin there. Other supermarkets are available but um since i am as you pointed out self-employed that means the bbc can't stop me saying how much i love little right now go little can you hand sanitize with gin as well it would have the alcohol would have some effect wouldn't it It needs to be 60 percent. so you're better off with absinthe if you want to use booze to um uh, to hand sand i mean it's a very posh way of doing it it's a bit friny fisher if you don't mind me saying so uh, and, and it's probably best done you know uh, wearing a flapper outfit or if you're male you know put on the full the Bertie Worcester affair and wash, wash your hands in absinthe. Be careful not to lick them afterwards, though, because it has slightly psychotropic properties, doesn't it, um, absinthe? These are all the things that I didn't expect as a cricket commentator to be advising listeners on, but I think there's going to be a fair bit of this going on for a while. Uh, and and while well, you did mention self-employed, I just want to do a bit of a shout-out to all of them because obviously everybody has concerns at this time. Everybody's got all sorts of things that, that are concerning them. But this isn't just cricket. I mean, football, rugby, all sports uh, nowadays uh, brought to you, broadcast to you by uh, and written about by people who are mostly freelancers and bless them, you know, I speak from experience as do you. Our diaries and our bank balances are very empty. So what I would say to everybody if they are worried and they're in that position is there's a lot of people in the same boat and a, and a problem aired is a problem shared or is it the other way around? We're going to air and we're going to share and we're going to be fine and we're going to get through this and, and then when cricket happens I tell you it is going to be absolutely magnificent. Oh, I'll tell you what you, you realise at times like this Dan how not, not, not that you take it for granted but how important sport is whether that's football cricket whatever it is whatever your release is in the world and your chance to get on the terraces and shout or your chance to sit in the stands and and, and watch the game 
it, it is massively important to people it's just for their mental health and their their well-being to have that escape isn't it and it's, it's gone for now it's horrible it is um and it is horrible but you know i think it's in a way it's making sport seem a little bit more important than it was for you i don't know if you felt like this but i sometimes look at my life and think am i just wandering around engaged in some infantile pastime you know people hitting balls with a bit of wood and uh, it's times like this you realize that it isn't that actually i think jürgen klopp and jonathan Liu, not necessarily two people you'd have put together in a sentence said uh, pretty much the same thing really which is that sport and i think jürgen klopp said football but jonathan who said sport is the most important of the unimportant things and yeah. uh, i think that's quite quite a uh, perspicacious point actually you really do notice the terrible lack of it i mean there's lots of things that hopefully we will do in this enforced time if we've got the discipline i'm not suggesting that you read david foster wallace's infinite jest or or gravity's rainbow just yet but you know there are things that one might have been meaning to do and books you might have been meaning to read and horizons you might have been meaning to broaden that you might be able to do but somehow um at the moment every time i've tried opening middle march i just keep thinking about cricket and then bung on stokes at headingly <laughs> i've got i've got to move beyond that if i'm gonna sustain this existence for the next six months well i'm taking this opportunity down to write a, a stage play i've wanted to do that for a long time never really had the chance always other, thing, other things got in the way but i'm now on scene four of it i told the badges out there i'd keep them updated on my progress i've not actually told them what it's about yet because i'm keeping that under my hat for now but i am still progressing with it i'm on scene four and it's uh, it's all right i think so far brilliant i i wrote a play once and i'm going to give you a piece of advice which you can choose to ignore i finished the first draft after about four months and i was delighted with it and um do you know it was the 12th draft that actually went on stage but what i will say is that each draft gets much much quicker to do so rewrite 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 and you will get there and you've got plenty of time to do that my friend so i'm so looking forward to that i will be there in the audience front row your invite is in the post as lee armstrong says we've got all the time in the world haven't we at the moment which is good in many ways and, and terrible in others Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. The listenership is going up every single week. Thanks so much for your ears. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your likes, your subscribes. It's on every platform around the world. So make sure you listen. Tell your friends and contact the show too. Let us know what you think. Give us your ideas for future shows at cricket underscore badger on the Twitter feed. Cricket badger at hotmail.com on the emails. Thank you so much, badgers. Keep listening. One of the things we're going to do today, Dan, is we're going to get the Cricket Budget Podcast audience try and give them something to entertain them a little bit not just on this podcast but over the next few weeks as well because we're going to be looking for not just in England but across the, the globe the greatest cricketers of all time it's always good for discussion and um, after we've done this podcast I'm going to start putting it on Twitter we're going to get 32 England cricketers the best there's ever been I'm going to draw them into a, a knockout draw and we're going to take them all the way through to the final where you're able on the at cricket underscore budget Twitter feed to vote for who you think is the greatest of all time it's going to be hashtag g-o-a-t goat cricketer greatest of all time we are going to start set the ball rolling in this podcast dan by 
nominating five each, five great cricketers. I know we had a chat a little bit earlier today. We've put a few kind of caveats and perimeters on our discussion. They're going to be cricketers, but South and Dunn are about the same age. So they're going to be cricketers of that we've seen largely. We are going to nominate them one by one, tell the listeners why we've nominated them. And then, as I say, at the end of the podcast, I'll start sticking it out on Twitter. So you can start voting out there for who you think is the greatest English cricketer of all time. So to start us off, Mr. Norcross, let's have your first nomination. Right. Well, I'm just going to preface this by just adding a little bit to what you said, because there'll be a lot of people out there who, when they hear my five, will say, well, isn't so-and-so better or so-and-so better? Well, what I've done is I have discounted for now. I mean, I think they should be part of your 32, but I don't want to talk about WG Grace Ranjit Singhji, Fry, SF Barnes. I mean, absolutely brilliant players. But for the purposes of a podcast, I didn't feel that I'd be able to bring enough emotion to why I thought they were they were terrific. So what I've done is uh, I've chosen five players that uh, have meant something to me, and also the cr- criteria has to be that they are de- they would definitely get into a top thirty-two. So these are not necessarily the people I think are the five greatest England cricketers of all time, although. A couple of them are, but they are five who will definitely make your final cut. So I'm going to start, and this is almost going against what I've just said, but with Jack Hobbs. And the reason is I'm going to give you them in the order that my players have retired. Jack Hobbs, I guess, meant something to me because when I first got into cricket, I got into the numbers of cricket and that sort of thing. And I first picked up a wisdom and right at the top of the tree, the number one batsman with the most number of runs in first-class cricket history was not Don Bradman, mercifully. It was the great John Berry Hobbs, who also played for my team, Surrey. So uh, there, were, there were gates named after him at the Oval. So I was instantly intoxicated. 61,760 first-class runs, 199 first-class hundreds, 1,200s against Australia. This guy, they called him the master, opened the batting before the First World War, played his last test in, when was it, 1930, I think. We're, we're talking about a giant of the game. And I, I sort of sought out footage of him. I got a little bit from David Frith, used to do those marvellous compilation videos. So I got one about 1978, 79 and saw him there. And um, uh, I mean, he doesn't really need to be justified, does he? He's, he's one of England's greatest opening batsmen. There are others that I dare say we'll talk about. Um, but for me, uh, he also holds a very dear place in my heart because I upset my grandfather hugely at the uh, funeral of his mother by arguing vociferously when age nine that Jack Hobbs was a better batsman than Len Hutton. And uh, <laughs> my granddad was distracted from putting his wife into a grave by arguing that Len Hutton was uh, much better. I said, well, Hobbs got all those centuries and you know nothing. Len Hutton had his arm shortened in the Second World War. And we're having this big argument over whether I, I claimed that might have made Hutton better. Um, we, we didn't see eye to eye. It was a very fractious funeral. I feel slightly guilty about it, but I was only nine, so hopefully I can be forgiven. But Jack Hobbs is my first pick. And I think a very good one. And I'm going to bring up my first pick. I'm going to try and use my five to kind of mirror your five to some degree. And I'm going to go with Sir Leonard Hutton, the aforementioned. Whether he's better or worse than Jack Hobbs remains to be seen, because we'll let the, uh, the voters decide that. But the first professional captain, Yorkshireman, his highest test score, 
1964 at the Oval. He was just a very, very fine player. Averaged over 56 in test matches, 19 test centuries, 129 first-class tons. I must admit, though, Dan, when, when you mentioned Jack Hobbs, he's 199 centuries. I think if I'd been Jack Hobbs, I'd have hung around and scored one more just to get it past the 200. Um, so he was a little bit lackadaisical in that manner, wasn't he? But, well, he didn't uh, know. He didn't know. This is the bizarre thing. Right. So in those days, they weren't quite sure what were first class hundreds and what weren't. So I remember when I first read about him in Wisdom, his number of centuries was 197, but it got upgraded to 199. So bless him. Uh, but he did. Uh, I mean, in his defence, since you're having a go at Jack Hobbs, I'm going to tell you now, when he got his 100th hundred, aged 40, so he got 9900s off the age of 40, he was brought out champagne on a silver plate when he was batting. How cool is that? Oh, I think that, that they should do that now, shouldn't they? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, Ramps should have had... Or maybe Ramps did have a bottle of champagne. I'm not quite sure. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because when Ramps got his 100th, that was at Headingley. And I was the media manager at Headingley when Mark Rampercash got his 100th, 100th. And they, he'd had a, a little bit of a, a run of poor form. We're getting completely off the subject here. But the, I think the, the coaching staff had been carrying around this silver salver or something. They were going to present to Ramps once he got his 100th, 100th. He'd had a, a county game, not got it. He'd had another county game, not got it. And the, in the end, when it actually came to him getting his 100th 100 they'd forgotten to bring it with them because it had been that long since they'd had the conversation they'd left it at the Oval so somebody had to drive it up from London to Headingley that afternoon hoping that uh, he would manage to get the three figures and they'd be able to present it to him that, that evening but the, the ground filled up quite a lot during that day and I ended up taking ramps around the various media commitments at the end of that match because he got to his 100th 100 at, uh, on the, at the home of cricket Headingley uh, 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 Am I going to let that one pop? Yes, I'll go on. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> I, um, I made the mistake down the other day of looking at some reviews of the Cricket Badger podcast on, on, a, on a website. And they're very nice. Thank you very much, everybody out there, for some of you for some of the comments on there. But there was one guy who gave me one out of five for the Cricket Badger podcast because it was far too Yorkshire biased. Well, I'm sorry, but it does say on my Twitter feed that there is a, a tendency to Yorkshire bias. And it's my team, so... Ultimately, Yorkshire does come up quite a little bit on the Cricket Budget podcast, but we do try and get other things out there as well. Well, indeed. And isn't it marvellous that we've had one Surrey and one Yorkshire, the two most successful counties in the county championship, which just goes to show we're not one-eyed at all here, Badger. The <laughs> Surrey fan and the Yorkshire fan have picked Hobbs and Hutton straight up. Okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Hutton. I did a, uh, an interview with Geoffrey the other day for Wisden Cricket Monthly. He said something about Len Hutton that I think you'll like. We were talking about the great English batsman or going, all the way back through history and trying to find a thread between them for a feature that Wisdom did in the, the previous month going, you know, from Ramji all the way through to Ollie Pope. He said, oh, now Leonard, he was he was the greatest player. I said, why, why do you think that? His, his technique was fantastic. He said, didn't he get 30 out of a score of 52 for England once on a dreadful sticky dog? And I thought, how boycott can you get? Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> Not only was he spot on, Hutton did get 30, and England were bowled out for 52. He doesn't mention the 364 at the Oval. He goes straight for the 30 in difficult conditions. That tells you something about both Leonard and boycott. And if you don't mind me saying so, the entire tribe of lunatic Yorkshiremen. <laughs> no, that's fair comment. It's even more important at the moment, given my own precarious employment position with no sport to commentate or write about, I am looking for a Cricket Badger podcast sponsor. Please, please, please help out the podcast. Help me out and come on board with your business. I can get you in front of the cricket world. Plenty of people listening to podcasts at the moment with no live sport to descend upon with their eyes or their ears. 
So please, please, please help out the Cricket Badger podcast. Come on board, contact me, cricketbadger at hotmail.com or contact me on the Twitter at cricket underscore badger. Your help would be hugely appreciated by the Cricket Badger listeners and we could help each other out in these troubled times. Your second nomination, Dan. Right, so we're going in retirement order. Now, my second one is one that I'm putting in because I feel that he might he might get left out of a lot of lists if, if you people forget that we need a wicketkeeper. I have picked this man because not only did he sort of feature when I first started watching cricket, 1976-77, he was also, I think indisputably, the greatest gloveman that the world has ever seen. And it's a very competitive environment, cricket. And so if your country can produce the very best in one particular skill. It, it behoves us to take note. And by now you'll have all worked out that it is the impish, the quite fantastic, the truly brilliant Alan Knott. In those days, wicket keepers couldn't really bat. You know, Wazin Barry wasn't really a batsman for Pakistan. Rod Marsh could bat a bit, but he couldn't keep wicket when he first started. He was a rubbish keeper. And uh, Knott was one of these guys that did both. And he did the, the keeping part so exceptionally well. I remember him scoring 100 against the West Indies in 1976, which transfixed me. But really, it was it was watching what he did with his hands in, in partnership with, you know, Underwood standing up, Willis standing back. I mean, what a, what a player he was, and and he had character and a lot of keepers have character Jack Russell ran him a close second for me in terms of greatest wicket keepers I've ever seen but there's, there was just something crazy about the hats the gloves the gait he was impossible to bowl at he was weird and nervy and twitchy I just think that he's uh, he's got to be a shoe in if you're doing a top 32 and you need a keeper well I'll second Alan Knock because despite the fact that everybody associates me with Yorkshire my first cricket came down in Kent and it came with Alan Knott's team and he was just an absolute magician behind the stumps but my biggest memory of Alan Knott wasn't actually when he was well he was playing but it wasn't during a game he was just knocking up prior to a match starting and I was walking around the outfield as you could do in those days and he basically said oh son come over here bowl me a few balls so I uh, I bowled him a few balls and I bowled him and I got Alan Knott out head of one of the matches so uh, I've also seen him naked but apart from that <laughs> Well, you know, I didn't pick Alan Knott for either of those reasons, but I'm, I'm now feeling even more confident that my selection was a wise one. <laughs> I won't tell the story of how I saw him naked again, because that's been said a couple of times on this podcast, but uh, frequent listeners will already know that I've seen Alan Knott naked. But yeah, a fantastic nomination. Alan Knott, an absolute genius behind the stumps for Kent and England. I'm going to go slightly out of sync in terms of order, because I'm going to go with Alex Stewart next, because he's got that wicket-keeping side to his game obviously wicketkeeper batsman for England now 56 year old we'll take out the equation that he supports Chelsea because that really affects his uh, his credentials in this category but I just thought I, I really like obviously it's fantastic to watch the likes of Gower the graceful almost naturally talented players I always used to think with Alex Stewart that he was a cricketer that got every single last ounce of performance and talent from his body that he possibly could he was very regimented his work ethic was 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 massive and I think he got to where he got to through gritting his teeth and really trying whereas maybe some of the other players in in the categories we're, we're going to talk about it came a little bit easier to them but I think Alex Stewart was somebody who worked his socks off 
to get into an England shirt and to keep his England shirt. And he kept it for quite some time. 133 test matches, 8,463 runs. He scored 15 centuries in an England shirt, sometimes played as a batsman, sometimes played as a wicketkeeper batsman. His keeping got better as his, as his career went on. And I just thought he was an outstanding cricketer. He really was. And, you know, there's a couple of things to say on that. Think how many runs he would have got if England had had an all-rounder. You know, England have frequently in their history been quite blessed with having all-rounders, but his career sort of coincided with this uh, perpetual search for the new Botham, you know, people like David Capel and Gavin Hamilton and what have you. And so um, in order to get balance in the side and to get five bowlers, he was frequently made to keep wicket and bat, which meant that England were deprived of one of their best batsmen and one might argue one of their best wicket keepers in Jack Russell. You know, his dedication to what he did, if, if you talk to his family, I mean, he, he probably wouldn't say this, but his father and brother might say that actually his, his brother Niels was a more naturally talented player. But I tell you, if you see Neil and you see Alec, they're 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 physically very different men. Alec hasn't got an ounce of fat on him. He's an extraordinary, dedicated fellow. And he's also he's marvelously competitive. He desperately wants to win. I remember doing a, a mad thing with Ebony Rainford Brenton beginning of the 2017 season, which brings tears to my eyes now thinking about the start of the season. And we tried to go to every county championship match and commentate one ball from each on the first day, starting at Headingley, working our way through Leicester, North Hans. Chelmsford, Canterbury and back to London and it was just about feasible through a little bit of breaking of the speed limit not advised by the way uh, anyway we were within three miles of the oval when the game there ended for the day because Warwickshire had only taken three wickets and uh, as a result the over eight was horribly good and as Ebony and I arrived and through the Alex Stewart gates actually who should we see but the gaffer who said yeah you failed didn't you I said oh come off it we were like three miles away we were really close we were really emotional really close did you manage it or didn't you well we didn't so you failed <laughs> <laughs> he had no words of sympathy and I love him for that I interviewed him for my book following on in the footsteps of cricketing fathers because obviously his father Mickey was a, a Surrey in England player and coach as well obviously too and I, I was struck with Alex Stewart I mean you, you probably know him better than me because that was really one of my few um, experiences of actually talking to him and he was very he, he played it down massively because I, I spoke to a lot of sons for for that book and a lot of them found the, the pressure of expectation and, and following in their father's footsteps into the same game and often the same county side to be quite daunting whereas Alex Stewart was very matter of fact with it when I was at work he was gaffer when I was home he was dad and he was able to separate it out and compartmentalise his life and whether it was quite as easy as he made out I'm not quite so sure but it, judging by how he's coped with everything else in his career I, I, I take him as his word he just basically got on with it well he did what, you, what you'll find with Alex is that he doesn't suffer excuses it's as it's as simple as that so I'm, I'm sure it was difficult for him but he would have said doesn't matter does it I, I, my dad is who he is i've got to get on with it it's it's marvelous to have that clarity of mind not all of us have it i'm not sure i do uh, well i'm certain i don't <laughs> but it's an incredibly admirable trait and uh, one that got him to where he got i'll tell you what they've done so far we've had four nominations four very good nominations i think and you mentioned alex stewart's got gates jack hobbler's got gates len hutton's got gates at yorkshire canterbury it's time to get the ellen not gates i think of course the underwood and not gates perhaps 
anyway, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, but that would make sense, wouldn't it? It would, wouldn't it? There are gates at Canterbury. I mean, not particularly spectacular gates. Sorry, Kent fans. But, you know, yes, absolutely. The campaign starts here. My third nomination. So I'm going, as, as I said, in retirement order. Uh, this is a no-brainer. I mean, I'm sorry if I've stolen from you, but it'd go the, the, the top, really. Whenever you think of England players, it's got to be Sir Surian. Terence Botham. I, as I said earlier, started watching 1976 was my first test match. 1977 was Botham's first test match against Australia in that series, which I watched all of. By that stage, I was completely hooked. And he was just different. It's very hard for younger listeners to imagine quite what cricket was like before that. I loved it, despite its slow rhythms. You know, the 1960s, the average scoring rate was 2.4 and over. 1950s, 2.3 and over. The 70s was just starting to get a bit more glamorous. We got overseas players, lots of them in abundance playing in county cricket. But England was still, its heroes were David Steele, the bank manager who went to war, you know, people of that sort, Bob Woolmer being really gritty. And then suddenly this young, mustachioed, lean, fit, strong, vibrant, charismatic guy arrived out of nowhere. He took five wickets on debut, picked up another five wicket all in that in that series uh, got his maiden test 100 was a genuinely brilliant in that first three years of his career he averaged something like 21 with a ball and 42 with a bat I mean he was an unbelievable presence and um, we all know about 1981 you know everyone's got their favourite both the moments I remember a double 100 against India in 1982 when you think he broke Sunil Gavaskar's shin standing at silly point hit a towering six off I think Dilip Doshi that went to the top tier of the pavilion people didn't do those sorts of things you know he cemented a love that I already had and and it became an obsession and for that uh, I will thank him from the bottom of my heart for the rest of eternity and I think undeniably the very best of both of them is well it it stands comparison with the best of any other all-round cricketer that the game has ever seen and I'd include in that Sobers Callis, Imran Khan, you know, Richard Adley, Kapildev. He was he was up there with them. And when he was at his very, very best, the, everything stopped. The papers stopped for him. He was on the front page of the papers. He was on Newsnight. He was what he made cricket cricket sexy. And let's face it, we've spent most of our lives apologising to people that we love cricket. Uh, Ian both have allowed you to believe that it was actually the cool thing to do. You mentioned a, a few of the names there, but it was a, an era blessed with all rounders, wasn't it? With Imran Khan, Pakistan, and, and Richard Hadley was fun. Fantastic for, for not Clive Rice, who obviously didn't play international cricket, was South African. There were all rounders coming out of our ears, but Ian Botham was top of the tree. And I don't think that's just because we're English. I think everybody around the world assess him as yeah, being from, really 19, good. from 1977 to 1981. I'd say he was the best cricketer in the world. You know, things got a little bit trickier as he got a bit older, his fitness went off, and his bowling speed went down, and you know, all sorts of things happened for that period. There was, and it was a longer period than Flintoff had at the very top. He was just something else. And and it's also, it's about transcending the game, you know, in the way that WG Grace transcended the game. Both of them sort of transcended the game, really. And it was, uh, uh, for that, he's just, I can't, I can't, I can't not mention him. I mean, he's the most influential cricketer in my life. Wish I could have my time again, Dan, because... I went through both a, a large chunk of Botham's career wishing Chris Cowdery, wishing he would fall down and hurt himself and Chris Cowdery would get in an England team. <laughs> I, was, I was watching Kent at the time and Chris Cowdery was my hero. You know, I was watching watching him playing really well for Kent and I was thinking, well, only Botham is in his way. If Botham was just injured or something happened to Botham, then Chris Cowdery would get his chance. And yeah, I have to admit now that, you know, with all due respect to Chris Cowdery, he wasn't quite in the same 
quality as Ian Botham. Ian Botham was just ridiculously talented. And if I could have my time again, I'd maybe watch him through slightly different eyes, knowing that uh, I've maybe missed out a little bit on Ian Botham's career. I'm going to give you one last Botham fact. For those people who don't really appreciate Botham or are a bit too young and just think of him as the, you know, the old fella on Sky. In the uh, Jubilee Test against India in Bombay, I think it would be 1980, he bowled unchanged, I think for 26 overs, picked up, I can't remember how many wickets now, six, seven. This is the match he scored 100 and took 10 wickets. Unchanged in India, opened the bowling until they were bowled out. Yet nobody does that. No, nobody does that bowling bowling seam in India. Just think of the strength of the man to be able to achieve that. And we quite rightly concern ourselves with Joffre Archer's workload. Get your head round what we'd be saying about Joe Root if he bowled Joffre Archer for 26 overs unchanged in Bombay. Everybody's got a lot of time on their hands at the moment. So I mentioned my book again, following on in the footsteps of cricketing fathers. I interviewed Liam Botham for, for that book. And Liam was really good chat because Liam came out of cricket and went into rugby to try and kind of he admits get get away from being compared to his father he said you know I had plenty of confidence in himself he thought he would have played cricket for England he was certainly talented enough and he just went into rugby for a quieter life I guess really um, but one of the things he says that I'll always remember was that he said he, I didn't see much of my dad because he was off, off around the world during the winters so I tried to spend as much of my time in the summer as I possibly could but often my dad would go out in the evenings and I'd get a babysitter in and he's, he said you know, the likes of Elton John and, and people like that. Can you imagine being a little kid and opening the door and Elton John's there coming in with his big glasses on saying, hi, I'm going to look happy tonight. You know, it's just bizarre, isn't it? It's just a different kind of world. You've got Ian Terrence. I'm going to go with Derek Leslie Underwood. I mentioned that I, I saw my early part of my cricketing life down in, in Canterbury. Alan Knott was the keeper. Derek Underwood was always seems in, in memory to be the bowler. And I played club cricket to a very mediocre standard. My run-up was always nine steps and then a long one because Derek Underwood's run-up was nine steps and a long one. He was left arm, I was right arm. But on a turning track, on a damp track, because we're kind of going back to the days now where the covers weren't quite so good, in fact, uncovered pitches early on, when that pitch was drying out, there was nobody in the world that could actually get more out of that surface than Derek Underwood. I could never quite work out watching him whether he was a seam bowler or a spinner. I think he was somewhere in between the two. I think he had some seam deliveries and he had some deliveries that span. But on a, on a track that suited him he was just unplayable and on tracks that didn't suit him he was still a very very fine bowler indeed and the fact he took 297 test match wickets for England he uh, didn't necessarily play all the way through either because I think he was in the in the Packer circus as well so he missed a few tests so he would have certainly gone past 300 test match wickets if he'd had the full career and he was just a ridiculously ridiculously good bowler who I just loved watching he was an astounding bowler I, I, I believe am I right in saying that he did once bowled eight overs, eight maidens in a John Player League game. For younger listeners, that's a 40-over game. So your your allocation was eight overs. You could, you couldn't yeah. be got away. I know they were different times and, and what have you, but nonetheless, it's, it, 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 people may not quite believe it and think we're being misty-eyed, but he could just land the ball on exactly the same spot, time after time after time. And as you say, at that pace, that's the kind of bowling that's gone a bit out of fashion. One of the guys I thought about when you asked me and when you set me this challenge was, and a nod to you Yorkshire folk, Bob Appleyard. 
I, yeah. I, mean, I think Bob Appleyard should feature in your top 32. I think his, his story is incredible. His, uh, his, his record is remarkable. Career cut short by incredible injury. It started late as well for all sorts of reasons. Had tuberculosis after his first season. Took 200 wickets while suffering from tuberculosis in a season. Can you believe it? But he used to bowl those kind of slightly quicker cutters, bit of bit of spin. And it was what you just said that you couldn't tell whether he was a seamer or not. He wasn't a seamer, but he also wasn't quite a spinner. And, you know, Underwood somehow was like that, only just that little bit slower enough, wasn't he? So he could just, he could get drift and he could get dip, but he did it at such a pace that on those kind of wickets, when he'd have been impossible to face, 1968, of course, we'll never forget the sort of childlike Derek Underwood against Australia at the Oval after the thunderstorm, bowling him out on a sticky dog. Takes me back, old boy. Takes me back. Yeah, I think just a, just a brilliant bowler. Nicknamed Deadly. And nicknamed Deadly because, not because he was a nasty person, he's far from it. I mean, nicknamed Deadly because just basically his deliveries were absolutely deadly to batsmen. And yeah, we'll just mention it again. The not Underwood Gates. Get them there at Canterbury. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Dan Norcross, let's go to your number four, man. Okay. Now, this is a pick that's just a visceral one, really, and it's Kevin Peterson. Because in my lifetime, I thought I was going to pick David Gower because I thought I was going to go all a little bit emotional and then go back nostalgic because being cooped up indoors makes you do that. And don't get me wrong, I want David Gower in your top 32 for all sorts of reasons. But Kevin Peterson, he just came out of nowhere. He changed batting again in a different way. This is a guy who was an off spinner, but he suddenly transformed himself into this totally different player. I think the reason why I pick him is because of his ability to change games uh, there, are, there are innings of his that most most innings you think of great innings you think of a really good Joe Root innings and I love Joe Root he's, he's definitely one of the, the best batsmen I've seen in my life but oddly enough a kind of hundred from Joe Root you get a sense it's a little bit like having your eyes closed and being in a warm bath and just feeling beautifully relaxed at the uh, the the way his feet move and, and what have you with Peterson it's like it, it, it's well was it like it's like when you were a kid watching a Pink Panther film He's just so excited that it's going to be on. And you're hanging on every word and every moment from Peter Sellers. You hang on every ball that Peterson's going to face. Where's he going to hit this one? Same ball can be switch hit for six over backward point, or it could be, you know, flat batted straight past the bowler down the ground. You just haven't got a clue. And for for terrific theatre, I think the thing that's the moment that's seared on my mind from a batsman most of all in the last 10 years is him taking um, Dale Stain to pieces at Headingley. And Dale Stain not ha- when Dale Stain doesn't know what to do, then something extraordinary has happened, doesn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I just think for character, uh, personality on the field, I, I hasten to add, for just an edge of your seat, you're not going to leave the room while he's batting. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what 
dumbass way he's going to find a get out. But you also don't know what truly eye-popping brilliance is going to emerge from him. Ah, Kevin Peterson. Terrible haircuts, but what a batsman. I'll tell you what's well done with, with KP. He did all of that in an era where we were... We completely moved into having three formats. We had the one-day stuff. We had the T20. He was distracted, obviously, you know, particularly towards the end of his career with, with the IPL. But he was able to perform across all three formats to a massively high degree, wasn't he? Every every franchise around the world would have taken KP into their into their ranks because he was good enough in the in the short form. But it didn't seem to affect him when it came to Test cricket. He, you see, he could still grit it out in Test cricket, oh. he, as you say. You know, he, he could exasperate sometimes because he would throw his wicket away and you'd be throwing almost throwing things at the TV but he could still grit it out in the long form too oh it's it's you're right I and mean, it's formats but also places I mean you think about some of his greatest innings and obviously people go oval 2005 but you know India he <laughs> played some incredible innings in India totally different pitches totally different bowlers you know batted well at times in Australia you know it, it, it also has that extraordinary ability that if a sportsman has got this then they are truly blessed when he really wanted to make a point he sort of did you remember when he went down to South Africa and he played a bunch of one-day internationals and yes. he hit a bunch of back-to-back hundreds because he wanted to make that point. And then the day that he was supposed to be seeing Andrew Strauss uh, when he was out of the England setup and he was going to be meeting Andrew Strauss when we were going to get closure on the Kevin Peterson situation, the bugger only scores 355 not out at the Oval second highest score by a Surrey batsman in their history. You know, that ability to turn the tap on is uh, something that very, very few people are blessed with. Of course, other people were made exasperated by that because they'd say, why doesn't he just keep the bloody tap on? But we all know that sport's a bit more difficult than that. But yeah, he was something else. And uh, I I felt a bit of a loss, I've got to say, when uh, that career ended prematurely, you might argue, or not, depending on your, your view on the situation. Yeah, absolute genius. Absolute genius. And you can- you know, you, people in sport throw words like that around, but some of the stuff that he did, only genius could, could actually create that kind of shot. That and what, one last point on that genius, since you mentioned genius, he was also the genius that managed to get Michael Clark to refer a court at short leg off his bowling at Adelaide <laughs> when he blatantly hit it. I mean, that's like a meta genius. It's got genius with bat and ball. So yeah, I love him. Not not the greatest captain, but definitely a fantastic yeah. captain. I'm going to go to a man that I know is a big fan KP um, but you certainly wouldn't put them in the same bracket in terms of the way they played the game you've already mentioned him um, when talking about Len Hutton earlier my fourth nomination is Jeffrey Boycott the Fitzwilliam man who has a mother that has a stick of rhubarb that can do anything in terms of his batting he was just ridiculously and he's another one that wasn't naturally talented everything that Jeffrey Boycott rinsed from his game was done from hours in the nets and preparation and just bloody mindedness basically and that is kind of the character that is the man that is what gets you a test record of 8,114 runs at an average of 47.72 and I'll make sure I get that right because I know if you get that wrong he has that written on his retinas and he will correct you straight away if that is the case when I was working at Yorkshire he um, was the president of the club for a couple of years and used to come into our office all the time and we had the anniversary of his 100th 100 at Headingley and I did some 
T-shirts to commemorate that. And he was always in there. He was on the phone to Sachin Tendulkar one day. He was on the phone to somebody else the next. He always put the phone down and told them he loved them at the end of the conversation. Quite a misunderstood kind of character, I think, Jeffrey, in, in many ways. And I fell through the trap of being a little bit nervous of him when I first met him because I thought, flipping heck, he's a, a guy that likes it. that kind of Yorkshire trait of, I know what I like and I like what I bloody well say. I don't suffer fools. Exactly. He's got that kind of written all the way through him like a stick of rock. But when you actually meet him, he's got a very soft underbelly and he's actually quite a lovable kind of creature and, and cares for things and, and looks after people. And I, I quite like that about him. And uh, I think he's a very, very fine player, obviously from Yorkshire, all, all kind of ructions um, centred around Jeffrey's uh, career at Yorkshire. But in an England shirt, again, you know, he was dropped for slow scoring. He, he missed chunks of his career in a, in a in an England shirt. But I don't think he can look back at his career and say it was not successful. He was a very fine opening batsman and I think a very worthy member of the 32 club that we're going to have for this vote. Without a doubt, he's a unique man uh, doing what I do. If ever I'm at sort of events or something, people come up to you to talk about TMS and quite rightly, they're not really remotely interested in me. They're interested in the people that I work with. I would say 80% of people ask me about Jeffrey Boycott first. The other 20% ask about Phil Tufnell. But yeah. it's Boycott, Boycott, Boycott. What's he really like? And I, I say to them always, he is unlike any other human being I've ever met. He's unique. I can't, I can't describe him in reference to anybody else. He has got astoundingly high standards of people around him when I first started on TMS he gave me a tough time actually it didn't he wasn't rude to me it wasn't brusque or anything but it was very clear that you know you had to earn your right to be there um, but when you do get his respect whether you earn it or not is another matter that's not for me to say but when you get it he is a truly uh, he's, he's a he's a very helpful guy he's very supportive and helpful he just does it in a different way from the way other people do it so I've got a lot of time for for Jeffrey, I think he's been an amazing broadcaster, but in many ways an even more amazing batsman. I told you I talked to him about this uh, piece for Wisdom, and you know what came out of that is that guys in those days had to deny themselves. You know that you you did not give your wicket away. That was the way cricket was played in the 60s and early 70s. And that's how he was brought up. And when he was let loose, he could play some extraordinary innings. He did an incredible knock in the Gillette Cup final, the highest score in the Gillette Cup final for many years until it was beaten recently by Hales and Stoneman in the same match. Uh, say Gillette Cup, you know, the, the showpiece Lords final at the end of the season. So he had the shots in him, but his determination not to give it away was... You know, that, that takes quite a lot to do. I was obsessed with him as a child. I think he's probably the best opener that England have had while I've been watching. And that's saying something because we've seen Cook and Gooch and others that we will undoubtedly talk about. But he was, yeah, he's something else, Jeffrey. And uh, uh, yeah, I'll miss not working with him this year by the sounds of the fact that there's going to be no cricket. <laughs> so, you know. Um, 11th of August, 1977, we talked about KP kind of knowing the moment to shine. Yeah, to score your 100th 100. I mean, to get to 100 hundreds anyway is just ridiculous. But to score it at Headingley in a test match against Australia and to raise both arms like he did do and, and to have the acclaim of the crowd there, that, that's just special. That's kind yeah. of boys' own stuff, isn't it? And I know um, having worked there, you know, David Ryder, who was the club secretary, he was only a young lad I think, at the time. He's only he'd not been there that long. He, his job was the following morning to gather up all the, the fan mail that had come in for, for Jeffrey to take it around to the dressing room. And there was like two sacks of it because everybody just loved him in Yorkshire at the time. And he was a, an 
absolute hero. And uh, quite rightly, I think now, Sir Jeffrey. My last word on Jeffrey is that the, if the, one of the measures of the man is that he remembers everything. He remembers everything in his career. Um, and some of it still annoys him. So when I was talking to him about pitches and how, what they were like when he played, and he was saying, oh, they're totally different from now. You know, they're uncovered and what have you. And he said, I could play at Bradford one week and I scored. And I can't remember what he said, but he said it was a certain amount against a certain team. This was in like 1965. And then the next week, if it had been raining, I got my only ever pair there. Norman Graham got me out twice. And I went and checked all these things that he told me throughout this interview. And he was spot on about every bit, even, you know, getting caught at slip for 12 off somebody or other. You know, what I'm trying to say is he knows what he's talking about. You yeah. may get annoyed with him because you may hear him saying it a lot. But I'll tell you this, he, he absolutely knows his onions. I'll tell you what as well, Dan. It must be something about that Yorkshire dressing room because Brian Close was exactly the same as that. When Brian Close was the president, he's come into our offices and um, he used to go out for a fag around the back and you'd be asking him about all sorts of uh, you know what happened then and what, what what do you think about this and he'd start regaling these old matches and he'd say well I was captain in those days and about 20 past three on, on the Thursday <laughs> he changed the ball and he'd remember absolutely every single bowling change everything that he did doing it on a, on a cricket ground it was absolutely remarkable cricket was there everything and it's uh, it's a lovely thing really feature on the Cricket Badger podcast is the letters page, very much in inverted commas, because what we want you to do is to record your comments on to your telephone, send us the audio to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and we'll play it out as part of that letter page function. Maybe even react to what you say, whether it's an opinion on cricket, international or domestic. Maybe you've got some selection suggestions for the England team or for your county. Maybe you just want to have a bit of a rant. Make it anything up to a minute long. Send it in to cricketbadger at hotmail.com and you might find yourself on next week's podcast. Well, we got, we've come down to our final nominations. I've actually just changed mine in my head, but we're going to get your fifth one first. Okay, well, my fifth one is a man who's underrated in the rest of the world. I like to think he's not underrated in this world. It's another reason I'm so frustrated. There are so many reasons to be frustrated at the lack of a 2020 season at the moment. Who knows? Let's keep our fingers crossed. It may be time. But it's Jimmy Anderson, James Anderson, the uh, Burnley Express. 959 first-class wickets. There aren't going to be many players who take a 1,000 wickets anymore in first-class cricket. You could end up being the last. You never know. He's got 41 more to get. 584 test wickets. And, you know, Australians often say, well, look at his average of 26.8. It's not like Glenn McGrath. Well, he's had three careers, really, Jimmy. First part of his career, he was averaging 40-odd after 20-odd test matches. Then the middle bit, when he became a genuinely excellent, skillful bowler who could swing it both ways. And then this latter part of his career, which is made even more amazing because he's a seam bowler they put in a lot of hours a lot of effort in which he's been averaging something like 21 and a half in the last three or four years isn't it four or five years even I think his dedication I guess is the thing I find truly startling he said to me after the 2017 Ashes when England got pumped badly 4-0 wasn't it um, and he came to do commentary with us on the one day games and he was quite offhand with us to start with sort of you know suspicious I think a bit grumpy because he can be so I said to the others look we're going to take him out we're going to get a few drinks down him and we're going to loosen him up so we took him to a bar in Brisbane got a couple of drinks down him and I think I might have said Jimmy why why, why are you sort of grumpy with us and he goes well you lot think I'm past it and you keep on talking about how I'm 
too old and talking about who's going to come next. I said, well, Jimmy, it's what we do in the media, isn't it? I mean, everybody, obviously, you know, it's not like you're going to be touring Australia again. So we're looking at what's going to happen next time we're here. He said, why wouldn't I tour Australia again? I said, Jimmy, you'll be like 39, knocking on 40, boiling hot. The pitches are rubbish for what you do. There's no grass on them. It's, it's just hellish <laughs> you have to bat, you have to bowl for hours and hours on end it just come off a sydney test match where it's the hottest day in sydney in 78 years 47 degrees and bowled a nine over spell in that weather from the top end with australia 550 runs ahead uh, and yet he was still charging in and as he as he said this and it became really clear that he had no intention whatsoever of retiring he didn't understand why we were talking about it because he thought he was bowling better than ever he said how he's really enjoying being in the nets more now than ever before because he felt more in control of his art I thought this guy is an absolute phenomenon I mean most fast bowlers I take out Courtney Walsh out of this but most fast bowlers they hit 34-35 and they're quite understandably either already retired or really thinking about how to get into the, the nearest available commentary box and put their feet up and he was having none of it and I just think of all the bowlers that I've seen and commentated on regularly it's always a delight commentating on Jimmy Anderson because he knows so much more about what he's doing than we do so you can get frustrated at watching four balls with the new ball just swing gently away outside the off stump you're thinking what's he doing here when's he gonna get him and then he does get him and he sets himself the task you know with that first spell if he picks up a wicket then he's done his job. If he picks up another one, even better. So what you're kind of watching is the beautiful thing of Test cricket, the narrative of it, the working the batsman out. And you're getting an education when you're watching it from a man who is supremely in control of what he does. I just find him mesmerising, glorious to watch. And uh, the more I've got to know him, the more I've found him to be an absolutely charming, highly intelligent, interesting man to boot. So Jimmy has to go in. It's, uh, it's, I think it's a no-brainer. 584 Test wickets, for God's sake. Come off it. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not arguing with you. You're no, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with Australian bloggers. I'm just imagining you're one of them. <laughs> what I like as well is the fact that they tried to change his action, didn't they, at one stage? And he, he really struggled for a while. And then, I can't remember which was the bowling coach at the time, said to him, right, let's go back to where you were. And please started smiling again and then started taking wickets. And the rest is history, as they say. And can't really add too much more to what you've said. He's a, a fine, fine bowler for England. And no coincidence, he's got the most test wickets of any. Anybody. Very best professionals, James, in my view, are the ones who can work things out for themselves. Yes. Um, and he is he is that and, and everything more. I mean, obviously, he gets great support and help from backroom staff and what have you, but you've also got to be able to work things out. And he's he's got just such a great cricket brain. He's marvellous. I said to you earlier that my fifth choice was going to be Graham Gooch. Um, I'm just going to mention another couple of players in dispatches as well, because Graham Gooch certainly deserves to be in the top 32 of this boat. Paul Collingwood possibly won't get in the 32, but he's a player that I, I used to love watching because in the same way I said about Alex Stewart, I always thought that Paul Collingwood just got the most out of his out of his game and he was on the fringes of the test team for quite some time and then took his opportunity he's he's a player that i've enjoyed watching down the years gary valance i'm sorry badgers but I'm, <laughs> even i can't chew on him into this 32 are you sure are you sure badger <laughs> You must be able to come up with something there. I, I, I have thought about him and I have tried to work out a way of getting him in there. And if England selectors had any common sense whatsoever, he would have had enough runs by now to warrant his inclusion. I'm going to blame the selectors <laughs> rather than Sir Gary for that. But can my... I just tell you very briefly that the, the thing I love about Gary Balance most, and there are many things, is actually Henry Blofeld 
mistaking him for Moeen Ali for a hole over on commentary. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and he will always remain close to my heart for that. Um, my final pick, though, um, after mentioning those uh, those greats of the game, um, is David Gower. You mentioned him earlier, and I've, it's been a toss-up in my head all, all day about whether it should be Gower or Gooch as my final pick. doesn't really matter because both of them are going to go into the 32 anyway, but David Gower, as a, a former guest on the Cricket Badger podcast, he's uh, a gentleman. He was a fine, fine player. He had a wonderful cover drive. He had that lackadaisical kind of manner to him that he just made things. When when he was on song, it just looked just ridiculously graceful and easy. And that is the hallmark of class, isn't it? And, you know, people say about the great batsmen, they have plenty of time to play the ball. Well, David Gower had an age to play the ball. When he was on form, he was just ridiculously good. And I... Loved watching him and um, I can remember going to one of his testimonial games and I saw a lot of cricket of David Gower back in the day and I, I, I was very pleased to to know that when I got in touch with him to come on the Cricket Badger podcast, he said yes immediately. He gave me an hour of his time. He was a hero of mine when I was a kid. And he lived up to the tag when I spoke to him for the podcast as well, which counts for a lot, I think, in the in the field that we work in. And David Gower has to be my fifth choice. He's just a, a very, very fine player. Uh, you're not going to get any argument with me. I have a factoid that I bring out often about David Gower, and it seems like a quite a weird one to choose. But in the 1985-86 series against the West Indies, on pitches that were really difficult to bat on against a truly terrifying West Indian fast bowling unit, possibly their best one, Patrick Patterson going berserk. He scored 370 runs in 10 innings at an average of 37. England's next best was Graham Gooch at an average of 22 in that series. And he was, I guess what I found so wonderful about him was that when you were a kid, they genuinely sort of represent you. I know it's mad nationalism to think that somebody else is representing you just simply by dint of passport or whatever, but it wasn't particularly cool to be English. And yet he could go out and, as you say, look like he's got all the time in the world when you are showing all the time in the world against Patrick Patterson to hit a four through the covers, that takes something. I mean, that is absolutely startling. He's also caused me more upset and uh, and grief in my younger years than anyone else because a number of times he'd nick off on 35 just before lunch when I was thinking, oh, I've got all afternoon to watch David Gow score a beautiful 100 or get caught down at fine leg hooking. Remember that one at Perth, I think it yeah. might have been? Yeah, he had, he had the capacity to infuriate, but the delight... And the romance of it. He was also, he was so much my hero that when he was dropped from that tour, really because Gooch didn't want him there because he didn't think that he was, you know, training hard enough, it was the wrong attitude and what have you. I, along with thousands of other people, wrote, and I've never done this before or since, I wrote a sternly worded letter to the MCC. <laughs> Um, I realised at that point the futility of writing sternly worded letters, I hasten to add. Uh, yeah, he, he inspired such joy and love. And in a way, I think that's what our choices have been about today, haven't they? They've been about players that evoke an emotion. And maybe it's because we're feeling emotional, because we are bereft of cricket, having waited six months for it. And more than that, the country's in meltdown and there's an awful lot of people in terrible crisis. And so we sort of turn to soft and warm emotions and two choices really on, on podcasts like this I mean we, we the last two have been about the coronavirus and, and uh, one was about the coronavirus and its effect on cricket the, 
the next one was with a psychologist about what it was going to be like to be without sport for a while and the effect that that would have but ultimately the warm happy place is the nostalgic place isn't it you go back in time rather than try and look forward and, and work out what's going to happen you go back in time and you you have happy memories and you look back about what's given you joy in the past and I think looking at your five and my five on this list in front of me Ian Botham Alan Knott Jack Hobbs Jimmy Anderson Kevin Peterson Graham Gooch stroke David Gower Jeff Boycott Derek Underwood Alex Stewart and Len Hutton I think we've had a pretty good stab at getting a very good team together and I, I guess as well if you put Gooch and Gower into that team it may be a bit batting heavy but that's not a bad 11 either it's not bad is it it's not bad I, I, but we've got three bowlers we need, a, we need a little bit more bowling but I'm sure they will come there are plenty of brilliant England well, bowlers Graham, to come Graham Gooch can do a little bit of medium no, pace please <laughs> Don't let Jeffrey know that you've put Gucci's bowling above his own. Right? <laughs> oh, Jeffrey with his cap on bowling. Yeah, exactly. Of yeah. yeah and, he, and he took wickets. He took wickets. So, uh, yeah, Jeffrey can bowl too. So, yeah, we've, we've got a balanced side. <laughs> Gucci and Jeffrey bowling the same. Anyway, if it rains at all and it's a little bit overcast, then Anderson, Botham, and Underwood. I mean, as we said, Botham can bowl 26 overs unchanged. Anderson and Underwood rotate at the other end. I think we've. I think we've done it. If it's, if it's slightly damp, then you only need Derek Underwood anyway. So it's probably uh, yeah. Who would out of those guys there? Then just to finish off our chat today, Dan, who would you make captain of that side? Oh, that's a really good question. I would have to be the sainted Sir Leonard. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you. I think you would have to be. I mean, a lot of those players that we've mentioned have all captained England, don't they? Of course, Gooch Gower. I mean, not Underwood or not, but Gooch Gower has. Um, Jeffrey Boycott did as well, didn't he? Pete, so, Peterson, eight. exactly. Boycott, uh, both of them. There's um, a few candidates, though, aren't there? But I think Sir Leonard probably just nicks it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was good captain as well, wasn't he? Captain in difficult times, and he knows his onions. I think, yeah, that's that's definitely. We've got an awful lot of opening batsmen, though. Fascinating <laughs> to know quite what we do with. I suppose Gooch could go down the orders, open with Boycott. Well, it'd have to be Hutton and Hobbs opening. How are we going to do that? No, crikey, Moses, this is difficult. Are you, you going to tell Jeffrey that he's not opening? No, I'm not. I bloody am not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's the 11. There's the first 11 of the 32. I will add another 20 one to that cut to that out of my head then just off, off. Um, add another 21 to that list I will then do a draw and I will stick those out on Twitter at cricket underscore budget if you don't already follow that Twitter feed follow it now because if you want to play your part in deciding who is the greatest of all time in an England test match shirt then now is your chance what else have we got to do over the next few weeks we might as well decide and be that nostalgic people look back in time and decide who are our favourite and greatest cricketers of all time Dan Norcross it has been an absolute joy as always to have you back on the Cricket Badger podcast you stay safe and well mate thank you Badger and you um, no doubt we'll be in touch we're going to have lots and lots of these kind of necessary chats with friends use Skype keep in touch with everybody don't get lonely There's, in many ways this, this could bring us more together because we all know where we are we're not out we're not, we're not going anywhere Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.